As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today we are going behind enemy lines to get the inside scoop on the Oakland Raiders. We're going to talk to a veritable insider from Oakland. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Fear not, Broncos country. The Huddle Up Podcast is here to console you through this dead time on the NFL calendar. We're here presented by Mile High Huddle 24-7 Sports. I am your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host. He's your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, dude, it has been a slow week. So give me one second. I'm, I'm waiting for that tumbleweed to uh, roll on by. It is so dry right now. There is nothing going on. It is the deadest point of the NFL offseason. And even though we expected this, we knew this. It's the same thing every year. It does not make it any easier. I have withdrawals right now. I'm shaky. I'm sweating. I need football. Football needs to get here already. <laughs> it's like Lebowski, the intro to the big <laughs> Lebowski with the tumbleweed rolling yes, through sir. LA. I mean, that that's a very uh, apropos um, metaphor you, you rolled out for us there. But you know what? Listen, here's the here's the upside is we have doubled down on the analysis side of covering your Denver Broncos, whether it's coming up with interesting angles from some of the things uh, the players and coaches have said during OTAs and minicamp or going to the film room and breaking down. Like just today, for example, Lance Sanderson published a phenomenal film breakdown on outside linebacker, undrafted rookie Jeff Holland, which was very illuminating. So we're taking this opportunity while we're not kind of uh, under pressure because of the news to kind of spread our wings a little bit more and hit some of the analysis stuff. So there's a silver lining. For now, if that's what we can hope for, and deep dive analysis, that's what we're here for to provide everyone. And I, Broncos fans should definitely stay tuned for that. But football is just around the corner. Uh, thankfully, June is almost over. We got about a week longer to go. Then it's July, and before you know it, training camp is here. And then that's football every week, every day until the end of February or mid-February. So we're almost there, Broncos country. And I guess that's something we can update the listeners on as far as uh, Zach and I were talking about this before the show. We're going to introduce our guest here in just a few minutes, get him on the, on the show. But uh, training camp, we got official dates for training camp. I think it was, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, the rookies report July 25th and the maybe the 26th and then the, uh, the veterans on July 29th. Am I getting that right, or am I missing 20, the date? 27. There we go. There we go. The Here's the man that wrote the 20th. piece. Yeah, first practice the 28th, 
and then they practice on and off all through mid-August, and they wrap it up after the uh, the second preseason game. There you go. So it'll be here before you know it. In the meantime, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, and make sure you take some time as well to leave a creative review, whether you're listening to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, iHeart, uh, YouTube, shout out to the YouTube listeners, wherever you're listening. Just take some time, rate the show, leave a creative review. Absolutely vital in terms of helping us grow the show and reaching new listeners. Uh, one last piece of business before we introduce our guest here. Uh, we got to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. You guys go out and get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You got over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, an Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You guys know I'm a voracious reader. I don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books that I want to read, but Audible gives me the opportunity to do that while I'm doing other things, whether I'm driving, commuting, whatever, at the gym, in the yard, in the kitchen. And right now, for example, I'm listening to a great Russian classic. You guys might uh, at least have heard of it. Maybe you've never taken the time to read it. It's called Crime and Punishment. Uh, yeah, it's it doesn't sound very uh, enthralling, but it's it's liter- it's one of the best books ever written in the in the history of literature, and I'm able to uh, listen to it on Audible. So give it a chance, Audible. You get a free book. You get the uh, 30 day free trial uh, because of Huddle Up. So take some time, AudibleTrial.com/slash/HuddleUp. All right. So with heavy hitters like Peyton Manning, Alex Smith, these guys are no longer in the AFC West. Of course, Peyton's been gone a couple of years. But the old guard has kind of given way to the new, in a sense. And, of course, Phillip Rivers, you know, he's still hanging his hat with the Chargers in L.A., but the division is very much up for grabs. And with that in mind, we want to welcome in Oakland Raiders reporter for 24-7 Sports, Jeff Smith, to help us understand what's going on behind enemy lines with the Oakland Raiders. Jeff, thanks for joining us. What's good, sir? Hey, I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Everything going all right? All is well. All is well. Awesome. We, uh... Are stoked to have you on, of course, member of the 24-7 sports family. Now, the big 2018 news in Oakland, of course, is the arrival of John Gruden. That's what everyone's really been talking about the last six months, at least from the outside looking in. And we've heard some interesting things, Jeff, about Gruden's return to the Raiders. You know, coming out of the draft, we heard reports that he and, and Reggie McKenzie, the GM, that they maybe even had separate draft boards. And you take a glance at Oakland's 2018 draft class, and the hall itself, it kind of adds some veracity to that notion. It was kind of an eclectic group of picks there. They're just kind of all over the place. Didn't feel like there was much of a guiding principle, um, at least from the outside looking in. Now, as someone who's covered the team for a long time, is it true, have, is, have you heard that, that they had separate boards? And to kind of piggyback on that question, what was the, you know, what's the vibe been like in Oakland with Gruden back at the helm? Yeah, so there were rumblings that the two had, you know, a separate board. But, um, you know, obviously both Gruden and McKenzie shut that down pretty quickly. They shut it down, but that doesn't mean it's not true, of course. So um, realistically, it's kind of impossible to tell how that actually played out, what the actual situation was. I would probably assume that Gruden probably had the the main final call um if i had to make the assumption um but honestly both sides have been good to this point in terms of working with each other it seems but if something were to go haywire or they were to have a slow start to the season or something like that happens and there's a very very big chance that things could flip very quickly so i always thought reggie mckenzie did a great job 
as a GM. Mm-hmm. You know, he had his uh, misses, but I think mostly both as a as a draft czar and also as a you know a free agent recruiter. I thought he did a pretty good job at the helm. Has that seemed like a, a pretty good working relationship so far? Or has there been some butting of the heads at all, at least publicly? Uh, to this point, everything seems good. Uh, it seems like both sides are kind of you know doing well together, working well together, and obviously they have the same kind of focuses in mind. Um, I'm sure they've had their fair share of you know differences in terms of where they want to focus in you know before in free agency, and then of course in the draft and things like that. Um, you know, I, I'm not 100 percent sure if Reggie McKenzie was fully on board with taking you know two offensive linemen in the first three rounds or the first three picks, but. Um, you know, obviously they have they've had their differences, and I think McKenzie's done a great, done a great job as well. Um, you know, he's really he's done pretty good across the board. Obviously, I think when you have a draft like they had uh, when they landed Mac and um, and Derek Carr, uh, as well as um, Rodney Hudson, uh, when you have a draft like that, it kind of makes everything else look better. So even when their mistakes and their misses. Those things kind of overshadow them quite a bit. So, um, I, but he has done a good job overall. It's hard to deny that. So, well, and, and just real quick on that, I know you got some stuff you want to ask him too, Zach. But our draft analysts are, you know, Mile High Huddle. We're big into the draft. We got a group of guys that really study a lot of film, and you know, they kind of help us uh, in that regard. Guys like Zach and I, who, who, uh, you know, we don't uh, we don't spend as much time watching college tape uh, leading up to the it's draft. Not, not our so, forte. That's right. It's just not our forte. But they kind of panned the Colton Miller pick in the first round. Now, again, not really our domain, but do you subscribe to that notion that Oakland reached on Colton and also, you know, your feedback on the the Brandon Parker pick in the third round? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Honestly, before we go into that, I apologize. I said it was Rodney Hudson that was in the 2014 draft class. It was actually Gabe Jackson, so I just wanted to point or clarify that. But in terms of the Colton Miller pick, sticking with the offensive line, honestly – Miller is. It seemed kind of like they wanted McGlinchey out of Notre Dame um, at at number ten, more than likely. But when he came off the board at nine, the most obvious choice was to trade back, and it made sense. And moving back like they did was a great move. But at that point, you know, you had guys like Tremaine Edmonds on the board, Derwin James. There were a lot of options that really could have helped their defense. Uh, but instead of going that route, they decided to select a position that. They didn't really have a drastic need at. Obviously, they they could use a right tackle. They have some veteran depth there right now. But, uh, you know, that's fine. You could probably justify taking Colton Miller there if you really, really say, hey, we need it 100%. We need the future. We need the replacement for Donald Penn. You know, we need someone on the right side for right now. Maybe, maybe that's fine. But when you go down to Brandon Parker at the top of the third round, you know, it's, it's hard to get on board with. Uh, it, it, the move just doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, I think there really could have been – there were a lot of other options that could have been better, and especially not trading up for him. Uh, I, I just don't see it. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, he may be a great player, but at the time, and based on what their needs were, I don't think it made the most sense for them. I mean, I'm sure Broncos fans probably love the fact that they watched them take uh, two offensive linemen and, you know, two offensive linemen in the first two two rounds and one pick. So – the thing with me is like they traded back. They had many better players on the board at better positions of need, and they traded back to get an offensive tackle who's as raw as they come in Colton Miller. This is yep. a guy who protected Josh Rosen, and he was rawer, if that's a word, than uh, uh, Garrett Bowles came out of Utah last year, and the Broncos mm-hmm. fans are all too familiar with him. And yeah, no to trade back to get Colton Miller and not take a defensive player when you have an aging secondary with every 30-year-old veteran mm-hmm. under the sun – yeah. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then they follow that up in, in two offensive linemen in three rounds. 
with, yeah, with someone no- someone named Brandon Parker in the third round. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's no there's no way I could I if I were in that situation or I think if I honestly I think if the bulk of Raiders fans even were in that situation, there's no chance that 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 would be the move and that would be the right play. I don't think most coaches would make that play or that move. And it was bold. And, and I I mean I'll go as far as saying it was bad, uh, even without knowing how good these players are going to be based on what their needs were and what you know their overall scheme was and where they stand as a team right now, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of a, it, it, it was more of a, you know, hey, we're going to address the future type move, but, you know, hey, we're not on the same level as a team who's actually contending for a Super Bowl right now. So they have an offense now that is essentially ready to, you know, compete at a high level and compete immediately, but their defense is pretty much just a work in progress still. There's no clear-cut answers that were made, no, no you know, defining moves that were made. So it's kind of a let's hope the offense can score 50 game and the defense can hold up some level of their end of the bargain, which you know, with Paul Gunther, you can hope that that'll be the case. Um, and they do have some good players there, but it's a lot of risk. There's too much risk involved, and it didn't make a lot of sense at the time. It still doesn't make a lot of sense now. So. I always I thought think, that uh, that Gunther was awesome as a DC in Cincy yeah. when Mike Zimmer departed to go coach Minnesota. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think he might do some, you know, make some noise there. It might it might take a few games to get up to speed, but I always thought he was a good defensive coordinator, sharp mind there. I think so too. And to be honest with you, I really think that there's a small chance that Gruden, Gunther, the Raiders in general may have gotten kind of they may have caught a little bit of a break with with some of the decisions and how things played out uh daryl worley obviously is a is an as a name that comes to mind um you know they they picked him up after the eagles released him following the trade um from the panthers and you know worley had the off-field situation but he's an incredibly talented player and the thing is though is that if he hadn't been released and hadn't landed with the raiders then they'd be looking at a hundred percent more than likely having leon hall as their number three quarterback which would be you know questionable at best honestly so yeah you know it's not a great spot there's a lot of questions a lot of concerns the defense has me worried the only good thing for the Raiders and their defense one of the good things for the Raiders and their defense is Gunther like you said I think he has incredible upside he's a great coach I think he has the ability to get the most out of the players that he that are in the building but I just don't know if there's actually enough talent there you know to to be able to overcome these these shortcomings that they have right now so that's my concern. I think I can speak for all of Broncos country when I say that. They're not hoping that Colt Miller pans out when the Raiders saddle the Broncos with everyone's favorite, Metal League Watson. So I don't think it really matters that much because of the fact that uh, you guys now have uh, Bradley Chubb with Von Miller. So I'm pretty sure that they could put whoever they want on the, off- on the offensive line and it's not going to make a difference right away. So. Yeah. Hopefully Brandon Parker holds up against them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know what their plan is. They're, they're going to have to like quadruple team him and basically just hope that Derek Carr can throw a screen pass real quick. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the only game plan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Going to be two great matchups this year. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Derek Carr because I'm a I'm a big fan. Always have been of Derek Carr, dating back to his time in college. I just think he's a phenomenal arm talent. I like the guy. I think from a character perspective, he's a good dude. You know, it's odd saying that because he wears the silver and black. But you know, you look at his career. Four years under his belt, he's he's got three times at the Pro Bowl. Uh, last year, of course, he made the Pro Bowl, even though it wasn't a great season. As an alternate, ended up playing in the game and whatnot. But what's your take on Derek Carr heading into into year five? And do you consider him to be 
one of these young upper echelon NFL quarterbacks? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I am brutally, brutally honest when it comes to, you know, the, the actual talent and the upside and these specific players. But one person that I'm not personally wavering on at all is is Derek Carr. I think his upside is tremendous. I think his his playmaking skills, his instincts, I think everything about him is on that next level. Um, I, I, honestly, he was put in a offense last year that was led by Todd Downing that gave me headaches to watch. It, it was literally, literally painful. And, and he, he, I mean, and, and that's almost, that's only so much of a shot at Todd Downing. He was a first year offensive coordinator. He shouldn't have been in that position, to be honest with you. But uh, Carr, purely from a talent standpoint, is as one of the most upside of any players in the any player in the NFL at the quarterback position. And I think working with Gruden and Greg Olson again and Brian Callahan is gonna do a lot for him. And having these weapons around him, I do think that Carr is gonna have the best best year of his NFL career to this point. So I might be in the minority, but I happen to think that Carr has been a little underrated as an NFL quarterback. And I agree with you that physically all the upside is there and he's shown it. Unlike a player like Paxton Lynch, who has all the physical talent, Carr has actually shown he could be an upper echelon quarterback in the NFL. Uh, so I, a lot of the problems that he had, they weren't necessarily his fault. He has a good playmaking core, but offensive line issues, coaching issues. And they brought in John Gruden. They spent $100 million on him to coach up Derek Carr. That was the reason they hired him. Let's not, you know, let's call a spade a spade here. But do you believe, Jeff, that he will flourish under John Gruden, Derek Carr? Yeah, I- I do, and I think part of it is Gruden, but I think part of it is the fact that I, I will give Gruden credit for this and, and the coaching staff credit for this is that they've put a really, really good group around him. Um, obviously, you know, as, as head-scratching as the offensive line picks were, it goes to show just how important to Gruden specifically making sure that they protect Derek Carr really is. So, you know, the protection aspect is one thing, and I don't think that'll be I, – I don't think that – Brandon Parker or Colt Miller are going to make a drastic difference this year. But I do think the fact that they have Jordy Nelson and Mark Davis Bryant as things stand uh, and Ryan Switzer, who I think is an underrated type player, who, who I don't think he'll make a drastic impact in 2018, but uh, I think he has great upside. Just the players that are around him and the upside that's there, I think that's going to help him take a big jump forward in Gruden's system. So I, I think the two together. But you know, I'm not sure what you guys think about that and what you think about Gruden working with Carr. Obviously, I've probably read a lot more and seen a lot more about what Gruden's done with, with quarterbacks in the past, but the, the, the duo has the potential to do some very, very impressive things. I mean, he got he got he turned Rich Gannon into a MVP quarterback, and this was a guy who now, granted, this was almost two decades decades ago, almost not quite, but getting there. But Rich Gannon back then, I mean, he was a career journeyman, hadn't really done much as a starter, and under Gruden flourished. And then to add to that resume, he goes to Tampa and takes another journeyman in in Johnson uh, and takes him to the Super Bowl, wins a Super Bowl. But the, uh, after that, the question is, went downhill, could never develop yeah. a quarterback, one of the reasons he flamed out in Tampa. So that's – Zach, I see that as one of the one of the things he still has kind of left to prove, that he, he still is a quarterback whisperer of, of sorts, notwithstanding, you know, Gruden's QB camp. I fully agree with that. And the, the thing was, when Vance Joseph was on the hot seat last year, a lot of Broncos fans were starting to count their chickens and wondering who the next coach was going to be. And, of course, John Gruden's name kept popping up over and over based solely on his reputation and his laurels, not the fact that he's been out of the NFL for, for about a decade now. And I think the game has passed him by just a little bit. It's a totally different NFL now. It's, it's a pass-first 
league. It's a pass-first sport. It's much different than when he last coached. Uh, so he had that football camp, and that, that was all well and great, but it's different between working on a whiteboard and working on the sidelines. So I'm interested to see what he's going to do with Derek Carr, but we cannot know anything right now with that Raiders team, with Carr, with Gruden, until September and the Bulls start flying. I, I think it could be a good match, certainly better than Jack Del Rio and, and Derek Carr. But $100 million, though, hmm. that could be a little a little buyer's remorse there. Jeff, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go, go finish your thought. No, no, I was just going to say, I, you're, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, it's, it was way too much money. But, and honestly, Mark Davis basically just said, you know, I don't care how much it costs. This doesn't impact our salary cap. I'm going to pay whatever it takes. Here's a blank check. So, yeah, exactly. So, t- you know, take – basically, I'm, sh- I'm assuming that's kind of how the conversation went. He just said, I want you, no matter what, you know – I, I don't know if he said he probably didn't say name your number, but uh, you know he was going to pay whatever it took, and and that's that's you know there uh, you can you could probably argue that even Bill Belichick isn't worth a hundred million dollars over ten mm-hmm. years. So I mean it, it's it's one of those things that the money was he didn't care he he was just he wanted Gruden that was it. You know it's one thing too that the Broncos and the Raiders have in common offensively is the fact that both of them both teams are going to run some variant of the West Coast offense, which is interesting. Because, you know, that whole approach is slowly becoming an outdated, you know, offensive system in the NFL, as Zach alluded to with the shotgun, with the read option, the, uh, the or excuse me, the run pass option, the RPOs and all that. It seems to be, you know, de- uh, evolving away from those systems. In that, and yet here you got Bill Musgrave, former Raiders offensive coordinator, now coordinator in Denver, and John Gruden rolling these what are perceived to be these kind of antiquated systems that were great in the 90s, that were great in the early 2000s, back to the forefront. It'll be interesting to see if either team has some success in that regard. I don't think, uh, you know, in the short term, I think Bill Musgrave is set up for a little more success. And I say that because he's had a year in this team already, in the system, and now he's fully implementing his system with a veteran quarterback in Case Keenum. But it's interesting, that's a great point that Chad brought up, because there's elements of both uh, systems, both schemes in place on both teams, and both have that common denominator with Bill Musgrave. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree 100%. I mean, uh, I'm definitely on board with what you're saying. I, it's hard to disagree with you. So, Well, here in just a second, we have uh, a few more questions we want to ask Zach and I here to Jeff, plus a couple of our listeners have some questions for Jeff as well. But first, let me holler at you about why you got to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber Our approach, listen up, you guys, it's to covering the Broncos. It's not just about reporting the news, although we pride ourselves on being able to relay to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time. But we also like to deep dive, break the Broncos down in depth, whether it's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation. You know, coming out of the draft, we've spent a lot of time breaking down Denver's 2018 draft class, but we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. Now, to become a Mile High Huddle VIP 24-7 sports, get access to 100% of our written analysis and our VIP insider forums, just click on the green banner at the top of the website, click the monthly or annual option, whatever suits you, and from there you'll be locked in, you'll get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info we pick up along the way. And you guys know, We bust our humps to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. We ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. Pull the trigger. You have our word. You will not be disappointed. Now, real quick, uh, one question that I know is is very much on on the minds of Broncos country is, 
the whole Marquette King situation, obviously the Raiders jettisoned him not long after after uh, Gruden was, was hired and returned to Oakland. Now, King has said that he was cut without ever having even met with Gruden. And, you know, yeah. it's hard to get too excited about punters, right? But the drama here is juicy because King's been trolling his old team pretty hard all through the offseason, right? But considering, yeah. uh, you know, that no punter has pinned more punts inside the 10-yard line since 2013 than Marquette King, why do you think the Raiders unceremoniously just dumped him like that? Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. And I, I think it came down to exactly what you just said. Uh, it's the fact that he hadn't, you know, met with, John Gruden, and I think Gruden just didn't believe that their personalities meshed, to be honest with you. And it's kind of a weird situation, but, uh, you know, I think the Broncos are really going to benefit that, benefit from that. But uh, I think it just came down to that. That was all it was. I think that Gruden, he saw there's there's a small, a small, slightly larger cap hit, but uh, I don't think that was the biggest, you know, issue. I think it was more of the fact that their personalities weren't going to mesh, so. And also, no punter. Name one punter in NFL history that's logged more 15-yard penalties than Marquette King. I just think it was a culture change for John Gruden, and he didn't want to uh, keep on a very boisterous, a very flamboyant persona in Marquette King, no matter how good he was. And their trash was the Broncos' treasure. Not many uh, all-pro punters are out there. Not many all-pro punters hit the open market in April. So the Broncos got a chance to not only hurt their rival, but help their own team. Uh, I, it was one of my favorite moves of the offseason. It was a no-brainer. He's going to come into Denver now and punt into altitude. But I think, and he admitted that there's still a big revenge factor there. He wants to get back at the Raiders. He's feeling slighted, and I don't blame him. He went into the facility w- w- in Oakland to meet with John Gruden and, and not knowing in a couple minutes later he was going to get cut. And when does that happen in the NFL for an All-Pro? But um, I, I think there was more to play than just his salary cap. I think, that, like Jeff said, the, the characteristics and, and the personalities did not mesh at all. And it was surprising, but it was a great move by Denver. And I think it's only going to benefit them in all three phases. Agreed. I agree. It was a great, was a great addition for them. Uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to obviously cause his, uh, his fair share of headaches, I believe, away from the field or uh, off the field and probably on the field. But uh, nothing too crazy or over the top. But uh, He'll probably drive fans a little crazy from time to time, but uh, he, he's a great punter overall, and that's that's the most important thing, honestly. So, Well, Broncos fans who uh, might have missed this, one of the big offseason additions for Oakland uh, was former Packers wideout Jordy Nelson. Of course, Aaron Rodgers was not very thrilled publicly about losing him, and Nelson now steps in and ostensibly replaces Michael Crabtree. But what has the buzz been on Jordy Nelson thus far? You know, OTAs, minicamp, that's all in the books. And do you think he still has something left in the tank? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, if there's one thing that I am very unconcerned about compared to the rest of analysts and all the, the Raiders, writers, and all that out there, it's probably Jordy Nelson. I think that he's starting to put a lot of people's minds at ease. But, uh, you know, he's been, he's been great with the younger wide receivers, it seems. Uh, he's taken on a leadership role. He's been kind of what Derek Carr needed out of, you know, kind of what he needed out of Michael Crabtree last year, I guess, uh, in terms of that leadership role. And he's done a great job. So um, I, I think that overall, Jordy Nelson is probably going to be one of proof to be the best, one of the best additions out of anyone this entire offseason uh, for the Raiders. And I think he's going to have a huge, huge role. And I think he'll get back to that thousand yard player and, you know, hit double digit touchdowns as well. So. So you're a bigger fan of him as a complimentary piece than Michael Crabtree. Uh, Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet. 
episode to watch or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. In terms of playmaking ability or in terms of what he brings all around? What do you, which, what do you Just a for? general, you know, an, a complimentary piece to a playmaker, young playmaker like Mari Cooper. Is he yeah, that veteran think, hand that's going to be the one that's, that steps up as Derek Carr's number two? Or was Michael Crabtree you know, have they, the higher upside? Sure. I, obviously, I think Crabtree. I think Crabtree unquestionably has higher upside. Like in terms of a player, I think that it's impo- It's hard to argue that Jordy Nelson, who's you know going on, you know, he's thirty three years old, thirty four years old, you know, has higher upside. But uh, Crabtree brings more to the table from a you know an ability to to purely dominate a game. But pairing someone like Nelson up, who has you know, a, who's a crisp route runner, he's a, a great all around player. He's reliable. He's a great red zone target. That type of thing with someone like Amari. Cooper, who has that tremendous upside and that you know scary ability to take over a game, he's flashed from time to time, but hasn't really hit that stride fully. Pairing those two up, I think, is really, really going to be a good mesh. I think it'll be, I think it could prove to be better than what Crabtree and Cooper brought, um, because I do think that Crabtree kind of overshadowed Cooper a little bit too much at times, and it's tough to tell. But I like how Jordy and Amari complement each other. I think that's going to be really, really fun to watch. I mean, he's about as good of a possession receiver that you can find in the NFL right now. And as a veteran, he's got Jordy Nelson's got, I mean, his his route running ability is phenomenal. He's always had great hands. He might have lost some of that explosive twitch that he had, you know, for a white guy, for a white receiver in the in the passing game. That might have left him a little bit down the road. There's a reason Green Bay passed on him, but for or got rid of him but I think as a as a player who can step in and be a stabilizing force you talked about his leadership and just provide that for the Raiders uh Jordy Nelson especially working with Derek Carr from the outside looking in anyway it seems like a good fit now we uh each and every week Jeff we have something we call the mile high mailbag where our listeners send in their questions for us we answer their burning Broncos questions we fancy ourselves the uh, football priests okay we answer our our the burning Broncos questions in the minds of our listeners. And we got a couple here that I pulled from the bag that uh, I thought would be interesting for you to, to address, Jeff. And the first one comes from Driscoll Jones on Twitter, at Jones Driscoll. The question is, why is there a comparison? Now, keep in mind this is coming from uh, a very partisan point of view. Why is there a comparison between Miller and Mack? Do you, uh-huh. does, does Jeff really think Mack is better than Miller? Okay, so yeah, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of people, a lot of people, quickly, quickly jump on the whole like, you know, uh, you know, oh, you know, Khalil Mack's a better player than Von Miller, or you know, flip side, Von Miller's a way better player than than Khalil Mack. But you know, honestly, I feel like that's kind of yet to be determined. I mean, it's it's easy to forget just how young you know Khalil Mack still is and what his upside is at this moment. Though, I mean, it's really hard to to argue the point that Khalil Mack is a purely better all-around player or has done more than Von Miller has. Um, you know, I think that Von Miller is way more well-established. And at this point, I would probably say Von Miller is the better player. That's not to say that Khalil Mack can't become the better player than Von Miller is, but he's also younger and, you know, you know, he still hasn't hit that full stride yet. So I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out and what the two end up, what their careers end up looking like at the end of the line. But, uh, you know, I think that Mack and Miller are going to be very, very close when all is said and done. I think that both of them are going to be, you know, right near the top in terms of, you know, most elite defensive playmakers and pass rushers. So, 
to the point of the question, it, there's a comparison because Miller and Mack are both play the same position. They both are edge rushers and they mm-hmm. play for rival teams. So there's always going to be a, a natural, uh, mm-hmm. you know, competition between them. I, I think right now I, it, it's subjective to me. Whatever you look for in a player, that's what you're going to land on as a better edge rusher. I happen to think, and I have no horse in the race, no pun intended, that Von Miller is the better edge rusher right now. I just think he brings more as a run defender. I think he brings more as setting the edge. I think he's a better pass rusher. They're both phenomenal, phenomenal players, the two of the best pass rushers in the NFL, and it's not even close in my opinion. I just think that's my opinion. Everyone has their own. I think Vaughn is just a little ahead of him, but both are going to, like Jeff said, they're going to end their careers either in Ken in the Hall of Fame or, or right uh, falling right under them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's like comparing a Lambo and a Ferrari, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're really we're really splitting hairs here. But you look at what they did last year. uh, Von Miller finished barely number one according to Pro Football Focus in total quarterback pressures, and right behind him at number two was Khalil Mack. Jeff, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I I agree completely. I understand. You know, my question is though, is you know, hey, when when if Bradley Chubb turns out to be a total star. Does that hurt Von Miller in the argument of being, you know, better than Khalil Mack down the road mm-hmm. after, you know, in three years, four years, if Mack is still completely dominant and Miller is still dominant, and, but but Bradley Chubb is right there in the mix and, you know, is a great pass rusher and doing elite things, does it make his argument for being the better player, you know, mm-hmm. a tougher one to make for fans? I think it doesn't really do anything for him because he's done so many. He has 83 and a half sacks through seven years. He's already done enough. He's had pretty much every award under his belt but Defensive Player of the Year, which he lost to Khalil Mack by one vote. And it was the biggest uh, shock since the 2016 presidential election. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't think it's going to take anything away. And when you look at what Von Miller has done, he hasn't really had that bookend OLB helping him out. He's been double teamed, triple teamed, chipped at the line of scrimmage. Whereas Khalil Mack has had Bruce Irvin last year. He had Navarro Bowman helping him out a little bit. Uh, I think a better defensive line in terms of pass rushers. So I don't think Bradley Chubb, if he clicks, he's going to take anything away from Miller's legacy. He's only going to make life easier for Miller. I think they're going to look at both of those players in separate, uh, you know, situations. Sure. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's you know, that's a typical, typical, typical Broncos analyst response <laughs> right there. So no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think that's fair. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I agree. I mean, Von Miller's. I think Von Miller's. You know, resume kind of speaks for itself at this point. I think it's kind of uh, not one of those things that I would ever go back and be like, oh, you know, what he did over the first seven years doesn't matter as much now. Like that. That's not the point. I agree completely. I think that his pure playmaking ability and his ability to dominate a game is is not is never in question. So. Right. Well, one uh, one point I'll make as devil's advocate in this conversation here is the fact that, you know, last year, and you could argue 2016 as well, but especially last year, Vaughn really had no help on the other side and no one really stepping up on the defensive line with the exception of Shelby Harris uh, in terms of helping him create a consistent pass rush. But Former he, had, he, had, he had DeMarcus Ware yeah. uh, for two years just wrecking shop. So he did have mm-hmm. that benefit. Um, as opposed to what Khalil point. Mack has had to deal with in his short time, his his brief career with the Raiders thus far. True, true. No, I, I understand completely. I agree with you completely. And another another good point actually to the to the Mack side of the argument is that while he's topped you know ten and a half sacks over the past three years, I think that his uh, the, the fact that he's going to be playing in Paul Gunther's defense this year, uh, and the fact that they added guys like Maurice Hurst and moved Bruce, Bruce Irvin to um, defensive end, and they have Arden Key and you know a few other players like that, I think it's really going to help uh, Khalil Mack as well. And I think that it could really this could be a really 
be a big year that could really bolster his overall resume and really take him to that that top top level you know right up there with von miller in my mind at least i, I still think it's one a and one b you, you can interchange them all you want it's it's sure. both are phenomenal and both are the best in the nfl mm-hmm. before i get to the next question here from the mailbag while we're on the topic real quick give us an update the latest on mac his contract you know what's what's going to happen there how big of an issue it is in oakland Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big concern right now. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world or anything like that. It's not like the the expectation isn't that he's not going to sign or anything along those lines. But um, there is concern on the level of we're getting close to training camp. And if we get into training camp, then, you know, we could be looking at a situation where he has very, very little time to work with Paul Gunther. And, you know, Khalil Mack is a an exceptional talent as we've talked about so it's not going to be the end of the world trying to get him you know ready to roll and everything but the, the negotiations there's been no rumbling since very early on um so it's kind of impossible to tell where things sit currently but um I, the hope is that they'll get it done before training camp but at this point there's been nothing to make anyone feel great about that so it's concerning still it's definitely very concerning yeah, I, th- I think it'll get done. He's, he deserves to get paid. And just like Von Miller yeah. in 2016 after he won this, the MVP of the Super Bowl, he deserved that contract and he held out and uh, he finally got it. So yeah. I think it'll go into, into July in a training camp, but it'll get done. You know, and I think part of it might be well, part. I, I th- I'm pretty confident what a, a large portion of the issue is is that you have you know Aaron Donald obviously you know waiting right. to get paid too, and then uh, Jadavion Clowney too. So I mean, these guys are basically in a spot where whoever signs first resets the market for the next person. So right. if Mac holds out until Aaron Donald gets paid, he's going to make more money. So I mean, realistically, he he does have incentive to keep keep pushing it back, but at some point it's got to get to the point where it's got to be about football and they got to get, they got to get the deals done. All three of them have to just get the deal done. So, yeah. Well, and typically it's what the rubber meets the road when football officially gets back into full swing and training camp and, you know, everyone's back in the office, so to speak. And that's when things typically tend to coalesce around holdouts. But uh, second question, then we'll keep it to two questions from the mailbag today because I have uh, Zach and I have two or three more. We want to get to Jeff because we've ran a little bit long here, but uh, this one comes from mile high maniac on Twitter. His question is, what's the deal with Amari Cooper's and his drops? Can Broncos fans look forward to more of the same? Yeah, so to be honest with you, I know Amari Cooper gets the uh, gets the brunt of it because of his drops, but the drops were a concern across the board really last year. Um, you know, Michael Crabtree had his issue with drops. Seth Roberts has consistently has issues with drops. So it's very concerning, and it's not something that's just going to go away. It's I think really what it comes down to for Cooper is he's a young guy, and he, I think he kind of gets in his own head to some extent. And I think he just needs to go out there, get some of that confidence back, and basically just get, you know, build that rapport or rebuild the rapport to some extent with Derek Carr and and basically just hit the ground running I think if he hits the ground running and he can get some confidence under his feet it's gonna be a lot easier for him for him to avoid those drops and you know keep it you know keep it from being a consistent thing but there is no uh I have very very little little confidence in that happening immediately I'm gonna need to see it happen before I actually believe that it's going in the right direction at least so Broncos fans are all too familiar with this when you have Demarius Thomas who will drop the easiest pass in the world and make the best catch following that in the next play. Yeah. So yeah, it's, just, absolutely. it's just the give and take with a superstar receiver. And exactly. I, Broncos fans could look forward to it. And they, as, a, as a, a, an enemy fan base, they will. But Amari Cooper is still one of the best receivers in the NFL. And as long as he makes those catches, 
uh, they're going to be in good shape, the Raiders' offense. Yeah, and his upside, obviously, is tremendous. I mean, you, the Broncos know the upside of Amari Cooper. I mean, they tried to kill him last year during a game. So you know, <laughs> that happened. We, we all remember that. <laughs> no, but, but for real, though, I mean, like, uh, you know, his upside is, is unreal. You know? And just like, like you said, like Demarius Thomas, these guys have tremendous upside. And while they make these mistakes, these, these plays that make fans be like, oh, my God, I'm so done with Amari Cooper. Two minutes later, Amari Cooper could go score a 60-yard touchdown, and everyone's just lost their mind, and they're pulling their Amari Cooper jersey out of the closet. <laughs> so it's the way the NFL works, though. It's not just it's not Raiders fans. It's just fans in general. You know, it, it's, it's so easy to get frustrated with, with you know, specific plays and things like that. It's, it's hard not to as a fan, and even as an analyst, it's tough not to. True that. Definitely. Well, sure. you know, the Broncos, uh, they kept Vance Joseph, obviously, but they've made it a lot of personnel changes. Very different team as, you know, compared to last year. Most notably, of course, the acquisition of quarterback Case Keenum, which we've touched on briefly. Um, you know, I personally see Denver as a dark horse in the AFC West this year, but what's the perception, Jeff, of the Broncos in Oakland? Yeah, you know, obviously from from the fan base, they just pretty much hate everything about Bron- the Broncos. So uh, it's pretty much always negative. But you will find the uh, you know one or two, or, uh, you know, you'll find a handful of people who will throw their honest opinion out there. And I think the biggest question about the Broncos from the Raiders is probably what do you really expect from Case Keenum? Do you think that he is the guy who can you know be the same player he was last year? Or is he going to be kind of a middle-of-the-road quarterback who's not going to be able to push you over the top and may even potentially hold you guys back from doing really, really special things when you have some impressive offensive weapons and elite defense? Uh, I, it's the same. Like Jeff made the great point about fan bases are in the NFL. It doesn't matter what color you wear, what team you rep, the fan base is going to be biased toward your players and – um, very unbiased toward the other players. And the Broncos fans feel the same way about Derek Carr as Raiders fans feel about Case Keenum. They, they don't like him. And I don't think – this is where I deviate a little bit. I don't think Denver is a dark horse. I think the Raiders and the Broncos are kind of in the same level. They finished near the bottom last year in the division. It was kind of a step back for both teams. I, I think it's the, the, the Chargers' time to come up now. And the Raiders and the Broncos are kind of be battling for that middling, that wild card spot. And you have the Chiefs in transition. So – I don't think they're a dark horse. I, I think they're a, a playoff wild card contender dark horse. But it's going to be d- interesting to see how the rivalry does shape up with a new era now. And with you know Vance Joseph is on the hot seat. He's a lame duck head coach right now. There's no guarantee he's going to be there in 2019. But John Gruden with a 10 year contract more than likely will be. So it's going to be a kind of a, a new era in the West. But for my money, and I'm I have, again I have no hat in the ring. I do think the Chargers are the favorites right now in the West. Oh, I can understand that. I, I definitely agree with you. I think the Chargers are, the, are probably the team to beat, and I, I think I think the Chiefs are kind of getting kind of getting disrespected a little bit. I know Mahomes is is you know hasn't proven much to this point, but um, he he has some tremendous upside. And I don't think that the Chiefs would have made that deal and and shifted it fully to Patrick Mahomes unless they were pretty confident in it. I, I mean, I know there's arguments and a reason you know, to go the other way with that and say, hey, you know, we have Mahomes, so why would we not go with him? But I think that Mahomes is probably more NFL ready than a lot of people think he is. Beat the Broncos last year in the finale. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, came in, won the game, came back out, let the other guy come in. Broncos started catching back up, tied the game. They threw him back out there to to seal the deal. But I think that uh, that was kind of the death nail I mean, the writing was on the wall for Alex Smith when the Mahomes pick was in, but that was kind of the, the death knell confirmation in the minds of the Chiefs that, you know, it's time to uh, move on to the next era. But getting back to the Raiders, though, 
give us a, a, an under-the-radar player on offense and defense for the Raiders that Broncos fans in particular should keep an eye out for in 2018. Uh, you said offense and defense? Yeah, from one from each side player. of the ball. Yeah, so honestly, on the I'll start with the defensive side. I think that um, I, I really think Maurice Hurst is probably going to be a, a, a great, great player. Um, you know, obviously, the only reason he slid to the fifth round is because of the fact the heart condition, which was you know cleared by both Michigan and Harvard. So, um, team doctors have looked at it. He said that he has to basically just get checked every year, but he's all clear. Um, he's already getting work with the first team defense. Uh, I, I think he may legitimately prove to be in the mix with Bradley Chubb for you know the the rookie or uh, defensive rookie of the year award. So uh, I think Maurice Hurst has a ton of upside. I think that he could really thrive in Gunther's defense, which does you know do a lot for defensive tackles. So I'm excited about Maurice Hurst. I think he's going to be really fun to watch. But um, I'm gonna I got to put him as like a one A and one B. I think Gary on Conley has the potential to be a lockdown cornerback, and the only thing that'll hold him back, I think, is whether or not the rest of the secondary can kind of help him out and do their part as well, because he is technically still kind of a rookie because he only played very limited amount of snaps in two games. So um, on the offensive side, though, I, I, I really, really like Ryan Switzer, but I don't know if he'll do it this year, as I previously mentioned. Uh, there's just too many players at wide receiver currently. Um, but I think if Ryan Switzer gets the snaps, I think he'll really imp- impress and be the kind of guy who can move the sticks and possibly break things open. Kind of, in, and it's a it's a boring comparison, but uh, kind of liking how Cole Beasley does for the Cowboys. I know he just came from the Cowboys and has drawn those comparisons, but he's the similar type of player, and he could be a great option for Derek Carr. But uh, along with him, if I'm going to pick someone else, it would be Martavis Bryant, uh, assuming everything is all good on the weird kind of front of whatever the heck is going on uh, with that situation. I think Bryant in the contract year has a chance to really kind of put his stamp on the fact that, you know, Hey, the Steelers just didn't want to use me. They didn't want to give me the snaps and I'm going to show just how dominant I really can be. So I think Bryant's be a lot of fun to watch. I think it's, it's impossible to say the Raiders had a good draft, but I think they definitely made two great steel picks in Hearst, like you mentioned, and also Arden key who reminds yep. me so much of Alden Smith. And yep. to get him, if he just keeps his nose clean, and if Hurst can stay healthy and his heart doesn't explode, I think they can both be really, really good contributors on that Raiders defense. And they really need defensive help. Their, their offense is fine, which goes yep. back to our first question, is why they use two picks on offensive linemen in, in three rounds when they need the defensive help. So I was a big fan of the Hurst pick and also the key pick. Yeah, and it's just it's it's actually interesting because I feel like those two picks kind of almost almost saved Same, the Raiders. Yeah, and yeah, made made it so people didn't just completely destroy their draft because if those two guys weren't available and they didn't take that tumble, and you're looking at two other names there, that draft looks real real bad for for Oakland. It looks real bad. So it was the only thing that saved it from a an F plus went to a exactly. B minus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, it's true. I mean, it's true. Sadly, but it, it is true. Well, hey, we've uh, we've kept you long. We got one more for you here. Uh, it's kind of a prediction. Now, we won't necessarily ask for a record prediction here, Jeff, unless you've got one that you'd like to share. But at the very least, put on the prognosticator's hat just for a minute. Tell us what you expect uh, on the horizon for the Oakland Raiders in 2018. I mean, is this a team to come on the come, so to speak, or do you feel like this is going to take a couple of years for Gruden to kind of exact his vision in Oakland? Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, it's it's one of those situations where I could really, and it's it's a lame answer, but I could see them going anywhere from six and ten to eleven and five. So, I mean, things can. It's just there's so much to try to figure out and sort through in terms of, you know, the AFC West. Is it as wide open as it seems, or are the Chiefs going to 
you know, be really good again? Uh, or, you know, are the Chargers going to, you know, live up to expectations? Um, do the Broncos, are, are they going to be able to hit that stride offensively, dominant defense? Because if this all comes together, then the Raiders are, are looking at, you know, six and 10, seven and nine potentially. But on the flip side, if these teams aren't as great as they possibly could be, I could easily see the Raiders going, you know, 10 and six and, and you know, possibly winning the division or making the playoffs at the very least um, based on the fact that their offense is so good. But if I had to, predict right now uh you know to to avoid the eight and eight pick because that's boring uh i'll go with nine and seven for the raiders follow-up question i know you don't have a crystal ball if you did you wouldn't be here talking to us right now but 10-year contract 100 million (laughs) dollars how long do you think he lasts in oakland yeah um based on what i saw this (laughs) offseason uh and the decisions that were made this offseason and how it was handled uh you know he's gonna have a really really uh, a long, he's going to have a lot, of, a lot of rope to work with. There's, uh, he'd have to really, really mess up to, to lose his job in the first, you know, two, three years. I think he's pretty much locked in to be there for four to five years. And if they make the playoffs, make the playoffs just one time in the first, you know, two seasons, three seasons, I think he'll be there for six to seven at a minimum. At a minimum. Yeah. Wow. No, if he not. makes the playoffs, because I, I think that if he makes the playoffs, it'll. It'll clear out any negative moves that were made, positive negative vibes that were there, and I think it's going to reset everyone's mind. Like, all right, hey, John Gruden's back. Everything's cool. We got this under control. We're set now. So I think that'll probably be the way it goes. What, what do you guys think about that? How long do you mm. think Gruden will last there, uh, based on what you saw this offseason? Well, he's got at least a couple of years, I think, yeah. uh, on that contract. He's probably going to get a minimum of two years They'll fire Reggie McKenzie if things go sideways long before they'll fire Gruden because that'll be the excuse as well. I don't have full control like I wanted and da-da-da-da-da. I think he's got at least two years, but you know, to pin it down, I'd say probably no longer than four years if he doesn't turn the yeah. ship around. Sure, I could definitely see that. That's a good prediction. What about you, Zach? What do you think? That was my prediction. I think winning cures all in the NFL. I think he will, like like uh, Chad said, the scapegoat is always a general manager above him. He's not needed anymore. John Gruden runs that team. So they'll fire McKenzie if things go south. Sure. I think he'll have a minimum of two. I know I'm just hopping on Chad's answer, but I think four, I think, is the most. If they don't win, if they just sneak into the – it's the difference between sneaking into the playoffs and winning the West – between going eight and eight or eleven and five, I think makes a big difference. So I think he'll get four years at the most and two at a minimum. What if they win? What if they win the AFC West? What, what, say say they say they go eight and eight this year. Then next year they win the AFC West. How much time beyond two years? That to your point, do you think that'll buy him? I think that buys him three more. I think he'll, he'll get five years since that ten year yeah. deal. He's not going to hit ten. I mean, that was just no, a no, no, no chance. That was no just chance. a record-setting number to put out there to make it look good for the team and for Gruden. So I think you know yep. seven, like you said, is pushing it. He'd have to win the West a couple times, or even more so than that. Uh, but if he wins the West next year, I think he gets five. Uh, no more than that, though. He might not even want to be there that long. Right. I, you know, who knows? I mean, I have no idea. What, what do you think, Chad? I don't know, man. I think that he still has so much left to prove. He's been out of football for so long, and things just soured. Uh, in such a weird way, those final you know two or three years in Tampa. I mean, he w- at one point was one of the brightest NFL coaches uh, under the sun, 
and then it just kind of got boring and monotonous, and he could not find a way to win in Tampa. So hopefully this time away, I mean, the good thing about what he's done, if you're a Raiders fan and you're looking for a silver lining, is he's been sitting in on meetings with these production meetings as a as an analyst uh, for Monday Night Football now for however many years, close to a decade. Um, and so he's been able to gather a lot of intelligence in that way uh, on opposing teams, on other personnel across the league, on seeing from the inside some of the trends that are taking place in the NFL. So I I think we'd be fooling ourselves a little bit to just assume that he's a fish out of water coming back to the NFL because it's not like he's just been chilling on a beach somewhere. He has been involved in the game and he's also had a very advantageous position in these uh, pre-production meetings where they sit down for a couple hours and talk to the OC and sit down, Uh talk to the DC and the stars of the team. And so you can believe that a football mind like John Gruden, when he gets an opportunity to sit down with these, these coordinators especially, he's asking them football questions, scheme questions. And, uh, you know, he's, he's taken what he can from that. And it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, though, how much of that he's able to apply. Uh, my personal belief is it's going to take a couple years, even with the quarterback that they have in, in Derek Carr. But it wouldn't shock or surprise me, as you say. It's it, they're kind of in that weird zone. Like they could be six and ten, they could go eleven and five. Like I would not be shocked by either eventuality. But uh, you know, again, it's boring. I think they're going to be pushing five hundred in year one. Is just my personal belief. But who knows? Sure, that makes sense. Definitely, I can see that. I'll say one more thing, and I'm showing my true colors here. But a John Gruden ten years out of football is still better than Vance Joseph. So the Broncos or their fans have no room to talk about that. Every Broncos fan listened and just nodded their head in the yeah, I don't think, Yeah, I don't think many, many I don't, I don't know the Broncos fan base too well, but I'm going to safely assume that they would not argue with that. So You would be correct. Well, hey, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we went a little bit long, but it was a very illuminating conversation, very edifying. We appreciate you uh, joining the show. And hopefully when we get back to the season, we're definitely going to want to have you back on uh, when the, the Broncos and the Raiders line up on the schedule. But thanks for joining us, bro. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Find him on Twitter, you guys. You know, go behind enemy lines. Know your enemy. You know, it's important. On Twitter, at JSM, the number 8 ITH at JSM8ITH. His name is Jeff Smith. He covers the Raiders for 24-7 Sports. Take care, buddy. But that's going to do it for today's show. I think uh, we did good work here today. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. As always, the best way to get a direct response from us is to hit us up on the MHH Insiders Premium Message Board on the site. But we're always going to try to engage with you our listeners as often as we can on social media. So don't be shy about asking us questions. Continue to do so. And uh, again, we're uh, we're working towards doing something live, some live shows on YouTube. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but uh, here's a reminder. Call to action. Support Mile High Huddle. Support 24-7 Sports. Become a VIP subscriber. And speaking of subscribing, make sure you're doing so to the podcast, y'all. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle.